Well, good afternoon and welcome to Real People OC. I am your host, Kimberly Martin, and each and every week I get to join you with a fabulous new guest from our local community to hear a little bit about somebody you may not know. And I share these stories with you on Thursdays from 4 to 5. And today is exactly like all these other weeks. I have somebody I want to introduce you to, and I get to hear their stories, and you get to hear them right alongside with me. So let's think back to the 70s and the musical environment back there. You know, KUCI is uh, right about the time KUCI was coming into its own self as a, as a music provider to our local community. In 1968, we got our start. The 70s was such a fabulous time for music, and some of the song, singer-songwriters that came out of that time period are really still with us today, but in such played such a big part in our lives and really in our hearts. They interwove through our relationships and uh, just some just some great music from that time. <clears throat> well, I want to reach back to a local Orange County dude, uh, Kyle Eidson. He's in the studio today, and Kyle, ba- way back in the seventies, and you know, in the ripe young age of twenty four, was a critically acclaimed singer songwriter. And now, many years later, he wants to share with our local community over three to four decades of singing and songwriting. I would have to say maybe to some degree it's a a little bit of the lost songs of Kyle Eidson. You know, we're bringing him back to share with friends. And he's going to delight his family and friends with a concert down at the Laguna Beach Playhouse on May 11th. And I had the privilege of hearing Kyle's concert, kind of like a debut concert, it had been a while, um, way back in October, and he's doing it again because everybody had such a blast. So I've asked Kyle to come in and you know really tell his story of what it was like to be a singer-songwriter in the 70s and what it's like bringing all that stuff out to share with friends today. So Kyle, you've got a story. Welcome to KUCI, and thank you for coming in to tell us. Well, thank you, Kimberly, for having me. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna. This is the first uh, interview I've had in a very long time. <laughs> well, you know, when we first met, you said, "Oh boy, do I have a story," and you could just kind of tell. You know, I saw your your song out, al- your album cover, and there was this young man with long hair, totally looked like a sex symbol. I'd have to say, <laughs> <laughs> is that fair to say you were a sex symbol back then? Uh, I don't know about that. I. Well, I was always been baby faced. I looked young, <clears throat> and uh, at one point my hair was all the way down to my waist, and I guess the girls kind of like that. Yeah, well, they <laughs> they did in the seventies. I think they still do, actually. Yeah, <laughs> so okay, so take me back. What? Who were you when you were young, and what what drew you to singing and songwriting? What What was that like when you were young? Did you just have to do it? Yeah, singing and songwriting both. Um, I did it as a as a kid. Uh, I started, you know, playing when I was about nine or ten years old. And um, most musicians that really love their instrument and love love the music uh, play every day because it's an emotional release. It's uh, for me, it was very very uh, important to my my mental health to play. Uh, I grew up in a very strict family with a with a military stepfather, and uh, it could be very tense. And so in order to release, I'd go into the bedroom and play the guitar and sing. Oh, my gosh. 
great talent born out born out of a little adversity that seems yeah. to be a pretty common theme especially for musicians yeah. you know why is it so important to communicate with music you think well i, I think that music is the universal language uh, uh, <laughs> i've got, i've gotten um I've been contacted by people from all over the world that, that run into my, you know, they'll run into my uh, album, see it somewhere, and uh, it's the the cover of my first album, uh, Times to Try a Man's Soul, was a little bit unique. It was done by, I can't remember his name, but he was a fellow that did one of the Beatles uh, albums, album covers. And it's a picture of a Rolls Royce sitting in front of the unemployment office and uh, you see an open variety magazine in in the window, and it's it, it catches people's eye, and um, they'll pick it up because of the cover, and then find out that there's actually something inside that they like. So tell me about that first album. Well, I'd gotten out of the military, and uh, uh, I was going to school in Cal State, L.A., and I working two jobs and uh, I fell asleep and had a car wreck and I lost my job and <laughs> answered an ad in a paper to play for a band and uh, I got the job as a guitar player and by uh, one or two years after that I had my own band and I used to go up and down the coast here at a group called The Sensations and we were really well known here on the west coast among the club circuits. We played all the way from Seattle to San Diego, and uh, we played all the big clubs in L.A., you know, PJs and Gazzaris and all up and down the Strip. So we had a lot of fun, but I really didn't spend too much time writing at that time. Okay, so the sensations. Did did they reach critical, critical acclaim? No, not really. I... <clears throat> We we made a couple of albums, uh, live albums, but uh, they were all cover songs, and it really wasn't anything unique. PJ's was had been a place where like the Standells, who did um, Muddy Water and or Dirty Water, and uh, Bobby Fuller Ford did I Fought the Law there, and uh, and uh, uh, Trina Lopez did his uh, live album. Um, so there there were a lot of acts that did live albums out of PJ's. It was a it was a real um, the place at the time there in, in Hollywood and so I did a live album but I didn't have any original material on mine as as the other groups did so okay what was it like fraternizing with them when you guys were performing oh it was a lot of fun and the, uh, because of the kind of place it was the the uh, a lot of stars came in and they'd hang out after the place closed you know people like Stella Stevens and Gary Crosby and just just people that hung out, you know, from Hollywood that would come in to be seen and and uh, to see other people. and Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> Sounds interesting. Those people were coming up at their time, and you seem to be coming up through your musical career around, around that time. What was it like? Was it easier and more fun and free? And I mean, give us, paint us a picture of what it might have been like to be a musician in the 70s. Well, there was a lot less um, competition as there are now, and a lot less places to to have your music heard. 
and the music industry was controlled by the record companies who uh, everyone wanted to try and get signed to a label and I was lucky enough to be um, to have a manager who was aggressive in that regard. I, uh, a fellow by the name of Bill Lane had seen me in one. In a, actually, I was in a little dive plane in a little a little bar in uh, Southgate, and <clears throat> he'd heard about the group. And he, he went in and uh, talked to us one, during one of our breaks about. Uh, Signing, uh, signing with him as a manager, and he'd get us a record deal and put us in a movie and blah blah blah. And uh, nobody wanted to do it, and <laughs> I didn't see any downside to that. I mean, nobody else in the band wanted to join. Nobody you. else wanted in the band wanted to. I was I was the leader of the band. It was my my band, and uh, so I said, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign up and see what happens." And um, uh, uh, he he was very, very uh, aggressive, and he made me start to write. He, he convinced me that I could be a good writer, and I started writing songs, and I made we made demos, and he sent the demos out, and a fellow by the name of Artie Rip um, heard the demo. He was in San Francisco at the time, actually. And I, I was a studio musician uh, off and on, and I worked with Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart, who wrote all of the songs and produced all of the records for the Monkees at the time. <clears throat> and um, working with them, I was in Vegas, and we were doing a show in the main room at the Flamingo with Zsa Zsa Gabor, and I got a phone call, and it was this Artie Rip. And Artie had been a big record executive back east. He owned uh, Buddha Records, which had The Love and Spoonful and Melanie and uh, a number of big big John Sebastian. You know, he, had, he had a lot of big groups, and uh, he sold that company and moved out here. And uh, he heard my demo, and he called me and said, don't make a deal until you talk to me. He <laughs> <laughs> was that kind of guy. You know? Artie so, Rip was famous, wasn't he? Yeah, he's very famous. Everybody <laughs> knows Artie Rip. In fact, who, I'm trying to remember. I One of... Uh, Graham Nash, I think, was uh, was was down in, in uh, Capistrano doing a doing an exhibition of his uh, of his photography, and I went down to see his work and uh, got to talking to him. You know, he was from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and um, he didn't give me too much credibility trying to talk to him until I mentioned that you know I had been signed by Artie Rip years ago, and he turn around, Artie Rip, oh geez, everybody knows Artie Rip. You know? Oh my. So. Okay, so you became, at the time, signed by Artie Rip. Now, right alongside of Billy Joel too, right? The two of you around the same yeah, time? Yeah, Billy, Billy was signed at, at the same <coughs> time and uh, so we were both um, doing albums at the same time. His his first album, Cold Spring Harbor, came out just about the same time as my Times Dry Man's Soul. And if you go on the internet, you'll find a number of blogs that uh, 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 compare us as to the type of act we were. He was a little bit more of a pop act than I was. And in fact, a little story about my first album when it came out uh, on ABC Dunhill. They, they, uh, as a marketing gimmick, they decided they were going to ship it a plain white album cover 
no credits, nothing on it. And this was back in the early 70s when uh, FM radio was underground radio. <laughs> and and the, um, the, the cool underground cutting edge people were the ones that were played on, on, uh, on FM radio. And there was a disc jockey up in San Francisco that played my whole album every night. And he had a contest to try to get people to figure out who the artist was, because he didn't even know who it was. Mm-mm. And uh, building suspense. Yeah, they they were building suspense. Well, the album t- took off, and it got to a point where you couldn't get in to the car, and, and if you were in there for five, ten minutes, you'd hear a cut off the album. This is times a triumphant. This is times a triumphant. Unfortunately. Paramount didn't expect anything in this first album of a new artist, and there were no records in the store. Literally, they didn't ship hardly anything. Well, record record sales drive airplay. Right. So I couldn't, you know, they started playing the songs and to get people to go out into the stores and buy the record, and there was no sales re- reports that reflected any sales. I'll be darned. So um, the record got dropped. A and, botched uh, marketing plan. A botched plan. marketing plan. And believe it or not, just recently I found out that the, that the vice president of distribution at, uh, at, at Gulf Western, one there in, in uh, New York, actually had a, a terminal cancer, and he didn't really do his job and, and he, because he couldn't. It was a mishap then. Yeah, it was, and it's just... Fell through the cracks. I'll be darned. Now, okay, so you have this body of work. Well, let's. I want to go back to what it might have been like for you to be. You were really known as just Kyle, right? Yes. Let's talk about your physical appearance and what that was like because, you know, I remember seeing that album cover. That one was just called Kyle, right? The second album? Yeah. uh, The second one was called Kyle and the third one was called Kyle. The second one uh, was... uh, I didn't have real long hair, but I had shoulder length hair, and and uh, like again, uh, the baby face and the whole sex symbol thing. Yeah, the whole that whole <laughs> thing. And then the third album, I had my North Beach leather suit and and long, long, long hair. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I rubbed elbows with all of the the big acts. I I, I mean, I played Denver with Joe Walsh and. Uh, and the James Gang, and uh, did some gigs with Cream, and uh, I mean, in the studio next door to to War, you know, and uh, just Melissa Manchester used to come around to our record to our rehearsal studios and rehearse, and, and uh, yeah, I met the Rolling Stones. It's strange when I did the when I did the uh, the, the concert in Denver. It was about 20,000 people, I guess, and uh, I was backstage. My brother-in-law was actually a guitar player and leader of a Quicksilver Messenger service, and he'd married my sister, and I, I'd never met him, and I was back there talking to him. <clears throat> and there was a fellow sitting up playing the, uh, uh, a dry guitar, and I <clears throat> I have to admit, I'm, I love music, but I'm not a... 
I'm not I, I'm not a fan really. I I don't know a lot of the groups. I don't listen to a lot of music, which may seem to be a dichotomy. But I I just I don't know. You didn't know who you were among. At the I time. didn't know who I was, and I sat down and I'm playing with this guy. We're we're just kind of jamming together, warming up, getting ready for the concert, and uh, it was Eric Clapton. I, oh my darn! <clears throat> and uh, I I I did. I don't think I'd ever seen his face. I, you know, I knew I knew who he was and I knew his music, but yeah. So at this point, you'd produced four albums. Uh, three albums. Three albums. Three albums, okay. and uh, we did a spec album that never really came out. And were the records selling then at this point? If you had no. gotten this far? No, to be honest with you, every record had its story. My second album was on MGM. <clears throat> and actually the week that my record was was um released Mike Kerb who was the the head of MGM and his sister who who uh was the vice president and she ran uh, she ran the distribution and everything <laughs> he went to be um lieutenant governor of California I'll be darned and so a new regime came in, and what they do is they sweep everybody out and bring in their own protégés. Right, right. And all that music yeah. gets, ends up on the and cutting all that, board. Yeah. So I would have to say, you know, it's a, it's really a tragic story, your your story of almost being famous, isn't it? Yeah. I um, <laughs> I, I got em- embroiled in a publishing uh legal battle over the publishing with a major, major company. I mean, one of the biggest companies in the world. And They wanted to control the rights of your music? Or? They wanted, they made, a, they made a deal they couldn't live with because I, my manager was so aggressive. And he, 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 made a, he made a deal that really didn't ever exist anywhere else in the world. And uh, this company finally said, you know what, we want to own part of the publishing because they didn't own any of it. They just participated in in profits. Mm. And so we got into a, a, a court battle and with its money and, and power kept it out of the courts for 13 years. <clears throat> and so during that time, my contracts were all suspended, not canceled. So I couldn't work in the industry in, in, as a recording artist or a and I just kind of went dead. They just they just froze me out. And uh, by the time I could, after it was resolved, which is another whole story for another time, I I was so far removed and I, and had a family to raise, and uh, I I just couldn't start over. Right, you know? right, right. <clears throat> it's it's interesting to reflect on that, but I don't think that's really so much the point anymore is it no it's not i i spent a lot of years being bitter but uh fortunately um i never stopped writing Uh, i just kept writing song after song after song and they just play in your head whether you want them to or not yeah i i I heard an uh, i read an interview by by paul mccartney uh just recently and he said they asked him how do you write songs and he said well i i just start fooling around on the instrument whether the piano or the guitar until gee there's something i've never heard before and makes it a new song and that's exactly what happens you just 
That's exactly what happens to me. I just sit down and start playing, and maybe a word or two will come, and then a thought, and then a, and then a subject, and then a song. And so it's the music that starts it. It's like it's, a certain little rhythm that you yeah, create, and yeah. out of the rhythm comes the words. See, I would have always thought it would have been the other way around. No, I've that tried that. The words that. played up in your head, and then you tried to put music to it. No, I've tried that. I, I, it's it's work. I I, I can't. Uh, you get an idea, and and words. I mean, some people can do that. I just can't. I, I, I just start playing the music and I just start enjoying some something I like, and then, I don't know, words just come to it, and uh, it's 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 a lovely feeling. It's I'm very blessed in that regard. I just, I don't know. The Lord gave me this this ability to do this, and uh, it's it's very strange the way this has come about. I mean, Barbara. Ask me about Barbara's your wife. My wife, Barbara. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. She asked me about you know uh, the bands and working when I was a recording artist because that's when I met her. I was just finishing, and uh, I told her about the drummer, and she looked him up on the internet. His name was Reese Clark. We called him Thumper, and he was from uh, he was from New Zealand. And he actually, when my band broke up, he actually went with. Billy Joel for years he was with Billy Joel's drummer and uh, the piano player was uh, James Newton Howard and he went with Elton John became Elton's uh, music director very interesting so I I, um, I I was at a play down in Laguna and it had a break and everybody left and I was sitting there in the, looking at the stage and I thought you know what this would be a great place for me to just sit down and play some of my songs. And uh, we did that in October. And we jammed away. It was a lot of fun. I kind of hoped I'd had a cocktail in my hand <laughs> at the time. I really feel like, you know, the um, the vibe of your music is really, you know, you want to get up and move and you want to kind of, I don't know, maybe hold your loved one and, you know, swing around a little bit. And, you know, you can't really sit still, but it's it's deep and it's moving and it's... Some of it is, yeah. It's very soulful and very fun. You know, I, uh, I didn't expect the reception that it got, and uh, being out into the community after, and having people walk up to me and say, "You know, I was at your concert, or I heard about your concert, and uh, when are you going to do it again?" And I really want to hear, you know, hear you again. And I, I, I didn't expect that. That concert was strictly for me. It was. Yeah. I love to look in people's eyes and sing them a song. And so we're going to do it again. And in a way, you kind of broke this, you know, really sorrowful um, waiting period, you know, and you just kind of turned this music that you've been holding on to and keeping for yourself. You kind of released it like you would letting the birds out of a cage in a way, yes. wouldn't you say? Yes, that's that's a good analogy. I uh it was it was it was very uh, what do you call it? It was just cathartic. Yes, a, ver- a, a very cathartic, and, and just I felt so good after that night, uh, um, and I knew that I wanted to do it again. I just didn't know if uh, if anybody would come a second time. <laughs> All right, so why don't we give the details really quickly of that second concert you're doing for? 
um, anybody really that is listening that wants to join in, what, where is it going to be? It's at the Laguna Beach Playhouse, right? Yeah, it's at the Laguna Beach Playhouse. It's at 7.30 on Monday evening of May the 11th. And uh, and tickets are on sale? Tickets are on sale there. You can get them online. I think they're $45. And uh, it's two hours of all original music. All and original. For anyone who's was at the first one, uh, about half of the songs are are different, and uh, I kept the ones that people really like and asked to hear again. Um, yeah, it's two one-hour sets, and uh, I, it's it's a lot of fun. I, anybody who likes music that has lyrics and tells stories and uh, as melodic, and we do some rock stuff, but. Uh, Again, I'm a I'm a songwriter, and uh, I like to tell stories. So, tell me about the band you've assembled for the oh, evening. Oh, jeez. When when I when I saw Reese, it had been 43 years, Kimberly. Wow. And uh, he looked like he stepped right out of a Dickens novel. He <laughs> he's tall and thin with long gray hair, and uh, he had a great career. He had been with Hoyt Axton and Freddie Fender and Billy Joel, and he 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 really stayed in the music business. And when I saw him. And we talked. He said, well, what have you been doing? And I said, I'm writing. So he came over to my studio and listened. He said, oh, Kyle, we have to do something with this. we gotta, we got to play it somewhere. And I said, well, do you think you could put a band together? And he said, I, I was hoping you'd ask. So I said, well, go for it and let's see what happens. He called me two days later and he said, Kyle, all of my first choices said yes. So we have some premier uh musicians from Orange County. I mean, Danny Ott is a well-known guitar player. He's a slide player. And uh, just, I mean, I played with the best musicians in the world. I played with the Wrecking Crew on my first album. So I played with Joe Osborne and Larry Carlton and Hal Blaine and all these guys, Michael Omarion. And they were giants. In fact, the movie The Wrecking Crew just played down in uh, Lido uh, about these people. And and, uh, I want to tell you, this band that I've got, they're every bit as good as those fellows. They, John Higgins plays piano. He's a, he's a wonderful piano player, keyboard player, and he's kind of my music director. Uh, Mike Berry uh, plays bass. He plays fretless. He plays upright. He, he's just a consummate musician. Um, he's going to he, he's going to Memphis actually tomorrow to play. Uh, on Beale Street at a celebration down there. That's how good he is. I mean, they're bringing him in down to Memphis. Um, and then uh, 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 Reese, of course, the drummer, uh, he, he's just unbelievable. And, and like I say, he was with Billy Joel for a long time. So we have an excellent band. I mean, they're just wonderful players. It sounds exciting. I I certainly enjoyed them when I got to hear them. I, you know, I wonder, you know, this is so interesting because really, you know, most people would think by now you'd be, you know, smoothing into retirement and just, you know, maybe going to the beach someday and enjoying, you know, relaxing times with your family and your wife. But it's, is it odd that you're starting your music career again? I mean, is it, is it like, what is this like for you? This is this is like a, a really unique twist on on what your life has played out to be. Well, I'm fascinated by that. Um, I never wanted to be 
a star or I never wanted to be recognizable. I never did it for fame. I did it because I love to perform. I'm I'm pretty much not a real outgoing person unless but when I get on the stage I'm with somebody else and I I love to reach out to people and 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 sing to them and um with the internet I don't have to go begging to a record company. I can I can put my music out there and let it stand on its own and if people like it they'll listen and they'll download and and maybe come to a concert and if they don't no harm no foul I just you know you're playing the music for all the right reasons now this go around aren't you it is I I just it is it's out of love of the songs I I the first concert a reason I sit down to pick songs and my lord it was so difficult because it's like tr- choosing children you know uh, you just love them all and and to pick one and and see another song there you're not gonna well let's let's don't do that this time yeah but that that tells this story and it's I mean, it's I, it's very difficult. So we're already talking about maybe the next one, uh, doing an unplugged evening and just just very intimate with the songs because the songs. I I, I don't mean to be uh, eagle maniacal, but uh, the songs are just lovely, and I really don't even consider myself as the creator. I I just I'm a like a conduit. You're I, the conduit. Yeah, yeah. I just. Yeah. They come to me, and I just pass them on. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So you've assembled this amazing band. What? What? Do you, where do you think this can go? Boy, I, my wife and I have talked about that. Excuse me. <coughs> Got a little frog. I'm just getting over the bug. Um, we've talked about that, and uh, we don't know what the plan is. We're just going to let it bloom you know like let it, let it flower and see what happens i i believe that somewhere in the world there's a niche that people will listen to this music and want to hear more of it <coughs> excuse me yeah especially those that feel like they've been passed by because the music of today isn't speaking to them that that i you know i believe that and and it's it's not a lot of artists. There aren't a lot of artists right now that are creating music that you walk away and you can sing it to yourself or you or you hear it in your head. I had a strange thing happen just recently, um, and it's happened before. I, people, because of the Internet, track me down. And one fellow tracked me down. He wanted a, he wanted a record that didn't have a disc jockey over, over, over the intro. I, I did a lot of television and radio when I was... When I was actually putting out records, you know, I did the Dick Clark Show and Merv Griffin and all, you know, American Bandstand and all that stuff. Uh, and he 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 had this song, "She Brings Sunshine," and he loved this song, but it had a DJ over the intro. And he said, "I want a clean copy." I said, "Well, I don't, I don't have a clean copy." Anyway, just recently, uh, a Frenchman from uh, from uh, Provence, ex en Provence, and in the south of France, he had gotten hold of my son, whose name is Kyle, and he had found one of my vinyls uh, at a collector's house. He was liquidating his collection, and this this fellow, uh, he wanted uh, to look at the collection, see if there's anything he wanted to buy because he was in the business. And he came upon my album, Times at Triumph and Soul, and what intrigued him were the players on the back. 
and uh, we ended up he ended up sending me an email saying what a pity your genius your 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 album uh, don't ever stop don't ever quit keep going because you have you have what people want to hear and and isn't that funny just when you need it little bits of encouragement like oh, that just show up it's, it's remarkable it's, isn't it it's it's amazing I just yeah I'm I I just believe that someone's going to like the music enough to to want to hear it more than once. And so maybe at this stage of your life and uh, possibly your career, you think maybe a record deal might come your way. Um, I don't. I don't know. I. I don't really. I don't think about that. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm getting up there in, in age, but uh, I'm. I'm young at heart. I'm physically young. I I don't I don't have any maladies or, and uh, I'm in great shape. Uh, I, I think you told me I I look probably 20 years younger than I am. I did. Yes, we're not revealing ages here today <laughs> at KUCI, but KUCI is 46 years old. <laughs> so I uh, so but I I I do want to see if I can find a publisher who will work my catalog, make a publishing deal with me, and. And get songs out to artists that can do the songs because there are some great there are some great songs that say say a lot. Uh, and, uh, well, that kind of that kind of that kind of really just says it in full, doesn't it? Yeah, I would. The great songs that say a lot. Yeah. Well, Kyle Eitzen, we are drawing down on our time, and I've really enjoyed you know just reminiscing just a little bit with you, but more importantly. What I love about your story and why I wanted to tell it with you or share it with you is, like you said, that universal language of music, you know, not only is it universal to linking people's hearts together, but really linking times together. You know, the songs you played so long ago are really just as important today. And I don't know, I find some comfort in that. And I think maybe maybe our listeners might, too. I I agree with you a hundred percent because I wrote uh, I wrote Black Gets Blacker, which was I wrote it at, 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 during the uh, Watts riots, and it's still relevant today. It's still very relevant today. James Brown thought it was one of the greatest uh, anti uh, uh, racist racist songs in, in, that he'd ever heard, and he wanted he wanted me to to do it with him. Uh, um, times that try a man's soul. If these aren't times that try a man's soul, there's never been times that try a man's soul. And right. the song, the songs are still relevant. That's I write about life, and life never really changes. Right, right. That's that's the bittersweet part of it all, that's, isn't that's it? it? Yeah. All right. So May 11th at the Laguna Beach Playhouse. Do you have a website that you want people to go to to buy those tickets, or is there <laughs> is there are they calling? You or are they calling the Laguna Beach Playhouse? Call, call, call the Playhouse or go online at the Playhouse. And, so that's um, lagunabeachplayhouse.org, right? No, it's .com. It's .com. Okay, yeah. sorry. Lagunabeachplayhouse.com. Uh -huh. All right. So, um, And then if you wanted to Google Kyle Eidson so you could see that uh, baby face with the long hair. <laughs> <laughs> I know I enjoyed seeing those images. Uh, Kyle is, is spelled K-Y-L-E and Eidson is spelled E-I-D-S-E-N. Laguna Beach Playhouse dot com. O N, sorry, did I say Ian? Yeah. Oh, I wrote it wrong. Um, o N. And um 
So we're looking forward to seeing where your career takes you, Kyle, and maybe we'll have you back here at KUCI. We love independent, independent music producers here, and we have a love of sharing that, so we'll be layering in some of your songs. Well, thank you so much, Kimberly. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it, too, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in concert again. Thank you. All right, Kyle, thank you.